The on-ramp and the off-ramp is the most important part of crypto adoption because, you know, you can build the most amazing technology in the world. And there are some really amazing crypto projects coming out, especially now. But if people can't access this technology or access the tokens in the first place, then it doesn't, it's all for naught, right? And so that's, that's what we see as the most important part. And so that's what we work on specifically is how do we on and off ramp people in emerging markets to cryptocurrency. Today, I am joined by Chris Maurice, who is the CEO and co-founder at Yellow Card. They are a cryptocurrency startup that's doing some very interesting stuff in Africa, starting off with Nigeria. I had the pleasure of traveling with Chris and getting into all sorts of shenanigans in Ethiopia. So it's good to have you here in DC, man. Uh, but what brings you in town? Man, it is, you know, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, Andrew, it's, it's always great to see you, man. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I, so I'm in DC. I love DC. This is one of my favorite cities in the world. I want to move here. I'm here about once a month, but I'm here this time talking about the Cryptocurrency Act. So I was uh, I was with Eric and Marshall and the other guys that have been uh, pushing the bill with Representative Gozar, and we, we've just been working on uh, promoting the bill. And so we had an event last night at the Capitol, and it went really well. And so, uh, you know, I just hope that more people start talking about this instead of coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's going to happen this year. I mean, my intuition says that this is the next year where, where a bull run is going to take place. And, you know, specifically when it comes to an African context, you know, I know you've been traveling all over the continent. I think h- how many countries did you hit at the end of last year? So I do, I do three months on, three months off. Okay. Uh, and so the last leg in Africa was September. September to December. And I started in Nigeria. I did Nigeria, South Africa, Ethiopia, back to South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Zambia, back to Zimbabwe, South Africa again, Ghana and Uganda. Mm, God, that is a lot. (laughs) But so where I was going with that is I think that really a key piece of this next bull run is going to be the emerging markets getting into or becoming a serious buyer seller of these cryptocurrencies because what's been missing over the past five years is the on and off ramps into the ecosystem. Uh, and this is something I was thinking about a lot. Like at first, back in 2016, my thoughts were, well, in order for Africa to actually participate in this ecosystem, somebody's going to have to build USSD rails onto it in order to get the average African. And for those tuning in, USSD is basically the 2G, you know, dumb phones type in a, a code with, with a star in order to ma- make something happen. It's basically SMS, yeah. Basically SMS, yeah. And so I used to think, well, someone's going to have to build basically a Coinbase on top of that infrastructure. But I see, I see what you're doing with these merchants. That, that's an approach I hadn't thought of, but it makes a lot of sense. So can you talk about that concept of, of providing an on-ramp to crypto for, for Africa? Because most people in the U.S., it's just like, well, can't they just download Coinbase and, and, and buy and sell? It's like, uh, no, they can't. Yeah, one one thing we also get a lot is uh, can't people in Africa just use Venmo? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean it's uh, the on ramp and the off ramp is the most important part of crypto adoption because you know you can build the most amazing technology in the world and there are some really amazing crypto projects coming out, especially now. But if people can't access this technology or access the tokens in the first place, then it doesn't. It's all for naught, right? And so that's that's what we see as the most important part. And so that's what we work on specifically is how do we on and off ramp people in emerging markets to cryptocurrency. And number one, you have to accept the local currency. You cannot force people everywhere in the world to use dollar. And then number two, you have to accept the payment methods that they use on a day to day basis. 
And so really, it's, it's similar to a Coinbase type approach where Coinbase made it stupid easy in the United States to buy Bitcoin, right? I, you know, you don't have to do a wire. You don't have to know what an order book is. You just give them your bank information and now you have Bitcoin. And that's the approach that we're taking in emerging markets is whether you use mobile money, whether you use bank transfer, whether you use cash, whatever, whatever payment method you use. That's what we want to be able to accept. And so one of the ways that we do that is through our merchant network. And so at each of these merchants, uh, so we have eight right now that are set up and they've been testing in Lagos and we're expanding into 18,000 in Nigeria this year. And any of these merchants, you're able to walk up and you're able to pay them with whatever payment method you use, right? Uh, the, the merchant already accepts it. Be that cash, be that bank transfer, be it mobile money, whatever, whatever you use, you go up and you pay it and then you have credit that you can exchange instantly for Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever you need. And so, yeah, I mean, certainly that's the most important part for the on-ramp is, is how do you adapt to the market rather than trying to make the market adapt to you? Right. And it seems like you're, you're following the same, or maybe you were inspired by the way a lot of mobile money startups built through their agent network. Because if you look at something like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Zona. I uh, love them. Yeah. I mean, I've had both Brad McGrath and, and, and Mike Quinn on the show. Their model was, I think, the pioneering model of like mobile money yeah. in, a, in a region like that, where you have all these different agents and they're able to kind of onboard and offboard cash into the ecosystem, which is kind of what you're doing, but you're building on top of really the SME network, right? Yeah, that's essentially what we're trying to do. And it is it is very similar to what Zona did. And Mike is a great guy. Everybody should buy his new book. Yeah, wasn't he crowdfunding it? He is. He is currently crowdfunding for his new book. And so uh, Zona, Zona they, they really did develop uh, the blueprint for how to do it as a startup in, in some of these markets. And uh, I think that there's a lot to learn from what they did. I don't think that it's it's foolproof, certainly. I mean, because I mean, we we see now what happened to them in Zambia, where you have much better funded telecoms that are able to come in and I mean, essentially firebomb them, right? And so now, if you go to Zambia, it's Airtel and it's MTN, and you have Airtel and MTN on every corner. You'll have four of them on the same corner. It's I mean, it's amazing that any of these are able to stay in business. But MTN and Airtel have more money than God, and so they're able to afford that. Whereas you know, Zona's a startup, right? And so what they did is is truly amazing. And I think it shows the importance of not only how to build and how to maintain your own network like they did, but also the importance of working with larger third-party networks to make sure that you're able to bring everybody in, right? And so it's it's not about competing with telecoms because it's, I mean, it's almost impossible for a startup to compete with telecoms, right? If they want to kick you out, they're going to. They have the money, they have the power, they have the lobbies, et cetera. It's about finding a way to get everybody in on the action, right? Which is one of the reasons why we actively strive to accept mobile money in countries where it's prominent, because we don't want to be seen as competing with MTN, right? So yeah. there's there's no point in trying to compete with them. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they did a great job, though, of, of showing that blueprint of how do you build it, but then also showing reasons why you need to be able to work with telecoms and work with big companies like that. Right. How did you get to this point? Maybe we should kind of rewind it because this this all started in, in a Taco Bell in Alabama. That's, that's the origin stories, right? That is, yeah. So my my background is actually in manufacturing. So I back in college, I had a, a consulting company, uh, which is the beauty of the internet is that they don't know that the person they're consulting with is not even 21 yet. But I had a consulting company online where I helped clothing lines that wanted to start up and they didn't want to do it out of China for any number of reasons. 
And so what we would do is we worked with a factory out of Pakistan and we would uh, essentially deal flow these these clothing lines and everything and walk them through the process from the American perspective and from the market perspective of, you know, materials and all that. And we would do that out of out of Pakistan. Man, we had a ton of problems in Pakistan with with movement of money. Pakistani rupee is not exactly the strongest currency in the world right now. It's difficult to move it in. It's difficult to move it out. If you if you try to send money there, your bank is going to call you and they're going to ask a lot of questions. I got so many questions from banks. like, Why are you moving money to Pakistan? What are you doing? If you try using Western Union, they ask the same things. Why are you moving money here? What are you, what are you doing with it? And everything we were doing was perfectly legitimate. And so when my, my co-founder, Justin, taught me about Bitcoin, it made a ton of sense you know, man, this, this solves the problem, right? Uh, this was, this is back in 2013. Of course, I mean, you know, the idea of switching over everything that I was doing to magic internet money at the time seemed a little foreign. And so I wanted to learn more about it. And so I, you know, I studied it and I, I read articles. I would send Justin articles. He would send me articles and we would just go back and forth and, and learn more about, about the technology. And then one day we saw Bitcoin being sold on eBay for, uh, for 150% markup. And I sent, sent Justin the link and I said, you know, hey, we're two relatively smart individuals. I think we can figure this out. And what year was that? This was, this is 2015 now. And, uh, so we, we started selling Bitcoin on eBay. First day we did $10,000 in sales. And so I'm like, oh man, you're like, we're onto something. That week we did $40,000 in sales in one week at 150% markup. And that's when I learned what a credit card chargeback is. <laughs> So, uh, see, what was actually happening is people were just stealing a bunch of credit cards or they would go on the deep web and buy a list of credit cards. They would just run it until one of them hit and we would send them Bitcoin. Turns out Bitcoin is very irreversible. When they say it's irreversible, they mean it. There's no, there's no pulling back on Bitcoin. But uh, the bank, not so much. The bank was very easily able to pull our money back. So we lost out on both sides of the transaction there. And so, you know, at this point we had, we've been looking at it and we've been reading about it and especially, uh, I mean, you know, Justin longer than I, but, uh, I'd been, I'd been so intrigued by this technology for so long that at this point I was sold. So, uh, you know, two years after, you know, first learning about it and, and reading about it and everything, even though the first foray into it was a complete disaster, uh, we knew that this is something that we wanted to get into. And so, uh, we, we decided to keep going despite our better judgment. We decided to keep going. Uh, of course, at this point we're triggered by the concept concept of plastic. And so credit cards are off the table. And so we, we started accepting the only irreversible payment method known to man, which is cold, hard cash. So we did the only thing that two reasonable college students in our position would do at the time, which is uh, we put ads on Craigslist and uh, other such platforms saying, Hey, we have Bitcoin come meet up with us and give us cash and we'll give you the Bitcoin. And uh, every Wednesday at about 7 p.m., you could come to the Taco Bell on Gay Street in Auburn, Alabama, slap a couple hundred dollars cash on the table in the back corner while Justin and I are eating our Doritos Locos Taco 12-pack, and we would give you Bitcoin. And uh, we did this. We did this for about three weeks, and uh, you know we had people coming in and out. And all of a sudden, we're like, man, this is, this is working. So uh, we, we called up our friends at uh, LSU, Yale, Georgia, Alabama. Within about two more weeks, we had seven Taco Bells on the eastern United States where you could walk in and buy Bitcoin. That is how we, that's how we got started. So and, that, uh, that literally is the model right now, but just you're running it. In that Taco Bell was our first agent network and, <laughs> yeah. and Taco Bell was the perfect agent network. Taco Bell is the perfect amount of apathy, right? Uh, like the employees there don't care about their own job. Never mind what we're doing in the back corner of their mm. store. This would never work at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So your first foray into Africa was not 
merchant networks, right? It was, it was the gift card concept. Yeah. So, at, you know, at this point we have, we have seven Taco Bells out of which we're selling Bitcoin. And, you know, one day Justin and I are talking and we thought, you know, man, we should probably do something less sketchy with our lives. Uh, and so that was, that was when we started building the company for scale, right? And that was when we, we came up with the idea of yellow card. We came up with the, the concept. It, it was, it was completely American focused at the time. I probably didn't know where Nigeria was on a map. And we're completely focused on the U.S. And then one day we met a guy at a Wells Fargo. Well, we were just, we were there making a deposit. And we met this guy who was sending $200 to his family in Nigeria. And Wells Fargo charged him $90 to send 200 over to his family in Africa. And so we, we pulled the guy aside and we talked to him and we, you know, hey, have you heard of Bitcoin? It's free. It's instant, all that fun stuff. And went about our day and you know later we we got home and we start thinking what would his family in nigeria do with 200 dollars worth of bitcoin you know it it solves the middle of the problem where whether you're sitting across from me or you're in nigeria or congo or asia wherever you are i can send it to you you're going to get it at the same time the same fee all that great stuff but if you're in nigeria you're, you're some guy in lagos what are you going to do with that you can't buy food with it it's not going to keep the lights on you're not going to be able to pay rent with it the best you can do is show your friends that you have it. And so that's how that's how we first got linked up with uh, Minachi, who who runs our operations and, and business in Africa. And we start talking to him and we start just kind of asking these questions, you know, hey, what is there to do with Bitcoin? Uh, what do people what do people do with it in Nigeria? How do you buy it? How do you sell it? Tell me, you know, tell me about the market. Who's using it? What for? And you know, I think uh, after after several months, I think uh, I think Minachi just got tired of answering our questions, and he said, "You know, look, guys, if you if you really want to build for this market, if you're really interested in this market, you have to come stay here, and you need to you need to experience it firsthand." And uh, so, without really thinking twice about it, we bought two one way tickets to Lagos, Nigeria, the first time I'd ever left the United States, and uh, went to go stay with a guy we met on the internet. So, mm. yeah, well, you know that's similar to my story. I booked uh, about a year into doing this podcast, I booked a one way ticket to Kenya, so uh, other side of the continent. But you know, I I like that story because most people and like the the consistent narrative when that story is told of I need to send money home to Africa. Here's how much the banks are charging. That always results in, that's why we started this remittance app. Mm-hmm. And there are so mm-hmm. many remittance companies, oh, man. right? But it, it completely misses the, I mean, first off, once Facebook announces Libra, literally all, all remittance companies are just like, their use case is gone because Facebook has the scale, right? Mm-hmm. Right there. But what has been needed is that on off ramp. Yes. A different yeah. way of thinking about the problem. I love that you're doing that. And that's the approach that you, you took with it. Yeah. Yeah. And well, that's, that's, that's what I think is so interesting about Libra is it doesn't, Libra by itself does not make remittance obsolete. Cause if I have a Libra token, which, you know, let's say is theoretically worth one US dollar and I send that to somebody in Nigeria, they're going to have the same problem with Libra that they would with anything else. I mean, over 90% of all payments in Nigeria happen in cash. You have to have Naira in cash in order to buy food from most places. Right. For the average Nigerian, you have to have cash. And so, you know, me sending, you know, 10 Libra tokens to somebody in Nigeria, it solves the issues of micro remittance. So, you know, normally I would have to save up my money because the transfer fees are so high and all that. But it still doesn't solve the problem of what what can your family member do with Libra? And so, yeah, I mean, even with something like Libra, the on and off ramps to local fiat are, are so critical. 
Yeah. Well, so let's talk about let's talk about your trip in, around Africa because um, you went to a lot of different countries, and I I want to hear more about this Bitcoin lady that I keep seeing on on Twitter in in, um, in Botswana. Ah, but, yes. So, well, first off, I think you might be the only person in the world that has had two separate meetings with Jack Dorsey in two different <laughs> in two different African countries. I don't know that there's another person that can say that. I considering that was Jack's first trip to Africa. Other than the people that were bringing him around, I think exactly. I think I really was. So and and how many days after I left did Jack show up in Ethiopia? Oh, man. was it like two days maybe? But it was it was not long after because man. maybe two three days. You could have been there. Man. I know. You been there. I, I remember. I remember coming back to DC and like. It was, it was probably the day after I got back or two days after and I just opened up Twitter and, <laughs> and, and, and you're just like taking a selfie with Jack Dorsey with like all these people that I was just with as well. It's like, damn, I just, I just missed him. But what was that like? What was meeting Jack Dorsey in, in Africa twice? Like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an awesome guy. He's, he's, he's really down to earth and I do, I do definitely like the way that Square and mainly Square, but I mean, also kind of Twitter are, looking at and approaching what they're trying to do in Africa. Because, I mean, you know, Africa is, I mean, it's the fastest growing continent in the world. Also, partially South America. This is where all the growth is coming from over the next 50 years, right? The U.S., China, all the Europe, they can only grow so much when you're so big. Africa has so much room to grow. And so it makes sense that big companies are starting to look at the continent. Uh, but there's there's a difference between, uh, you know, looking at the continent and saying, hey, we can go there and make money. And looking at the continent and actually wanting to do something that's going to help with development and help with growing the economy there. And I, I definitely I, I like the way that Jack is approaching the problem. And I think that, I mean, going over there physically, especially in, I mean, somebody of his position, I mean, you know, the, the guy's a billionaire. You know, what's he doing in Nigeria? So, you right. know, I mean, somebody somebody of his position going over to to really understand and examine the problem which is which is what he wanted to talk about when I mean, you know in both Nigeria and Ethiopia he wanted to talk about what is it like on the ground what what is what are the problems what do people experience it's just i think it's it's really really amazing that uh, you know somebody of his prominence is is willing to do that willing to go that extra mile and actually have those conversations towards the goal of how can we help and so that was, yeah, it's very inspiring. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think he's actually going to follow through with actually living in Africa now that there's activist shareholders that are trying to out him if he does, which, which yeah, I completely understand because he's going to Africa for yeah. square, Nigeria, Ethiopia. They have very active Twitter base, very active Twitter, but that doesn't yeah. mean that there's a lot of money there for Twitter. No. Um, cause it's a question of ad spend, right? And so he's clearly going to Africa for square, which mm. makes a lot of sense. But if I'm a large shareholder in Twitter and my CEO is going to go live in Africa for another company, <laughs> I'm not okay with that. And I fully support Jack being the CEO of Twitter, you know, driving the ship there. But if he's going to do that, then, you know, as a shareholder, I would want him out as well. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree. I, I completely support Jack as, as the CEO. And I think I could never imagine. I mean, that's, I mean, what, what he's doing is, at least in my opinion, being the CEO of Twitter or Facebook or Reddit at this point is bigger from an influence standpoint than being the CEO of Fox or C CBS. No, or, for sure. It's, you know, it's, it's unbelievable when you really think about really the seat of responsibility that people like Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey sit in for all the criticism and all the hate that we, we can throw their way for, you know, what's going on. Like, 
Oh my God, I couldn't even imagine the responsibility of sitting in that seat. I'm going to continue to criticize, but that's, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean that I, I cannot imagine being, being, yeah, I mean, the CEO of one of the most influential companies in the world from a, I mean, just from a, a media standpoint and everything. But uh, I did hear that they reached an agreement. My understanding is they reached an agreement with uh, Elliot to, Keep Jack on, and Elliot is is basically the investment firm that is Elliot trying is the to firm push him that's, out. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was trying to that was trying to push him out. Elliot Got management, it. and so yeah. my understanding is that they did reach an agreement that's going to keep Jack on for now. Is that agreement that he's not moving to Africa? I don't know. That's actually I was just trying to look that up. I I had not read anything about him publicly saying that he's not going to do that. Got it. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the stipulations. Mm. Um, and I mean, like you said, it makes sense. You know, I mean, if you're going to be, if you're going to be running one company from Africa, then I think it would make it tough, right? It would certainly make it tough. I mean, he's already in a tough position. So, you know, I think he's doing a good job with the, uh, the cards that he's been dealt. So I agree for sure. Well, let's, let's talk about the Bitcoin lady, man. What's, what's going on in Botswana? Is, is there a cryptocurrency community there? I, I can tell you that there is a cryptocurrency community solely because of, of Miss Alakanani Iterlang. And, okay. uh, so actually funny enough. So she was here in DC. Uh, you missed her just by a day, man. It's lying out right about now. Actually, her flight's at four. Uh, and so, but she's been at the airport for hours. Yeah. So Alakanani is, uh, working with us in Botswana. So she, she rose to fame independently as the Bitcoin lady in Botswana, small country, 2 million people. And, you know, here's this woman who has committed her life to Bitcoin back in like 2013. I mean, mm. it'd be, it'd be weird to, you know, be all in and quit your job and everything to just promote Bitcoin in 2020. People would, you know, be like, Oh, that's, that's odd. Alakanani did back in 2013. This woman is a hero. It's, it's good that uh, I think she's finally starting to get some recognition in the space and everything. Uh, so we we had her out here talking talking about the bill and all. But uh, yeah, she she's done. She's committed her life to making sure that cryptocurrency takes off in Africa. She has an amazing story, so I'm not going to take it from her. And I, I would highly encourage you to talk to her one day. She she's committed her life to making sure that people in Africa are never in a position that she was in where they're not able to access and control their own finances. And it, it cost her dearly. And so she's committed the rest of her life to making sure that this technology is known to people in Botswana, in South Africa, in Namibia, in the Southern African region more generally. And she is, she is a large part of the reason that there's such a prominent community in, in South Africa and in, in that region. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Well, let's talk about this this bill that you just mentioned. Are you literally coming to this studio from the congressional hearing? I am not. No. So it was. Uh, so it wasn't. It wasn't a full congressional hearing. So Paul Gozar uh, is the one who is sponsoring the bill. Congressman from Arizona, you said. Yes, the one that uh, is currently self quarantining for coronavirus. Okay. And so he was actually he was supposed to be here, but uh, he is um, yeah currently under quarantine. And uh, you know my man has the uh, the spirit of a warrior, and uh, you know despite the quarantine. And the coronavirus, he pushed this bill out anyways. And so, uh, yeah, you know, we, we submitted it yesterday. I say we, I mean, so it was, uh, so Eric Finman, Marshall Hainer. And Eric Finman is this, this Bitcoin teenage millionaire guy, the, the right? youngest Bitcoin millionaire. Okay. I think. Uh, and so, uh, and then Marshall is the CEO of metal pay. They are, they're really the geniuses behind it. So Marshall wrote the bill. Eric has been the one that's been instrumental here in DC. He's been here in DC for uh, a couple months now, just, just pushing this through. And, uh, it's, I mean, I, I'm so honored to be able to, uh, you know, have any association with it. And, uh, you know, the, I mean, they're getting somewhere with it, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's now it's, it's going to committee. 
And so now it's, uh, you know, now a political game really starts. But <laughs> And so basically the implication of this bill is what? Yeah. So this is, this is the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020. And essentially what this is doing from a broad overview, and it's, it's not long, it's nine pages. So, uh, you know, certainly it's, it's available to read, but the, the overview of what this is doing is it is, it is clearly defining the different types of crypto assets and specifying who gets to regulate what. And so you have crypto commodities, cryptocurrencies, and crypto securities. Crypto commodities would be things like Bitcoin, Ethereum. They're, they're public. They're decentralized. Cryptocurrencies would be stable coins, what we would refer to as stable coins, be it something like Tether or something like a DAI or something a little bit more uh, algorithmic than uh, fiat-backed. And then crypto securities would be any, any type of security, right? So, uh, that's, you know, very clearly specifying, you know, Hey, if you're issuing something that is essentially equity or you're issuing something that is essentially debt, then it, it falls under this third category. And yeah, and then it goes a step further, which this is the most important part is it goes a step further to say crypto commodities are regulated by the CFTC, the, the commodity futures trading commission. The currencies are regulated by the comptroller and by the treasury, uh, by FinCEN, and then securities are regulated by the SEC. And so it, the, the best part about this bill is that it brings clarity to what has been a very gray area for years now, right? Uh, where, you know, hey, I'm a crypto startup. Who has jurisdiction over me? You know, who do I actually need to talk to? Because you talk to any government agency and they'll say, oh, talk to us. And, uh, you know, it's really been left up to the states in a large part. And I just states rights and all that. Sure. But just the idea that the Internet or anything on the Internet or in this case, the future of the Internet, the future of money should be regulated by 50 different states in the same country. When you start a, when you start an internet business, you can have customers in New York, you can have customers in Louisiana and Florida and Alaska all at the same time, all in the same day. And it doesn't matter that you're doing business in all of those different states, right? It matters that you're doing business in the U.S., but the, the state lines are so arbitrary to begin with that it's, it, you know, there's no, there's no hard laws in any of these states that should prohibit people from, from working across it in the internet age. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Awesome. Well, I think we covered, we covered most everything I wanted to. I think let's finish this off. Can you give us an idea if you, if we had to kind of tear out the different African economies on like, these are the tier one economies in terms of crypto adoption, maturity of like the community there and what African countries are like the tier one right now and kind of leading the charge on adoption and, and kind of building out the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Yeah. So Nigeria, I, I would, I would have to put Nigeria at number one. Nigeria, uh, I mean, people there are so excited about the technology. It solves a yeah, very, everyone's trying to get out of Naira. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, you know, Hey, you know, oil, oil's not doing too well and 90% of the economy is oil. And so it, it definitely has some implications for the larger economic outlook of the country. But the, the country has been very friendly towards the industry. Uh, I mean, you know, we work with the, the major banks and everything there, right? And so it's, uh, it's been Nigeria. Nigeria has been great. There's, there's a lot of excitement on the ground. There's a lot, I mean, a ton of people using it. There's unfathomable amount of people that are trading Bitcoin full time and that's their job in Nigeria, mm. right? And so there's, there's a lot of excitement and adoption and everything in Nigeria. And I think that a lot of, companies and a lot of startups that are coming out of Lagos right now are only going to further that. So you have, I mean, you have companies that are helping with things like payment processing with 
uh, you know, actual use cases for, you know, now I have Bitcoin, what can I do with it? Uh, I think that's 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 really exciting. And then South Africa, South Africa has been pretty far along in terms of the adoption curve. Uh, so the the latest estimate that I heard is that 10% of people in South Africa own Bitcoin mm. or have owned Bitcoin at some point, which is, I mean, just kind of crazy. Sounds high. It's, yeah. It sounds very high, right? And so I just, I read stuff on the internet and then I say it out <laughs> loud, but, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> so, I mean, I just, I love the idea that, you know, so many people there would be using something like this. It's, it's, it's exciting. And I mean, you have a lot of really cool companies and everything coming out of Joburg, Cape Town, and even Durban in, in South Africa in this space. And I think, I think that, Nigeria is going to really push it forward for the continent and South Africa is going to push it forward as well for the sort of their region. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would also give an honorable mention to Kenya. I can't say that I'm terribly involved in the, the Kenyan Bitcoin community, but I always hear that it's one of the largest. Awesome. Well, Chris Maurice, CEO, co-founder at Yellow Card. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, no, thank you, man. This is, this is great. It's a beautiful, beautiful place.